welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this episode is number two of 49ers Access. Last week, we broke down who the best receiving prospect in this year's draft is. Spoiler alert, it's CeeDee Lamb. We also pleaded for the Niners to keep Marquise Goodwin over Dante Pettis and detailed why San Francisco chose Eric Armstead over DeForest Buckner. This week... We're going to discuss 49ers dream draft scenarios, last-minute free agent targets. Maybe they can find a number two corner in Logan Ryan, possibly to match across Richard Sherman. And finally, does Kyle Shanahan trust Jimmy Garoppolo? Luckily, we don't have to do that alone today, so we're going to welcome our guest. He's a 49ers beat writer for seven years. He's been with Bleacher Report and CBS Sports Radio, and now he works at Fanside as an NFL analyst. It's Ryan Sakamoto. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you on, Ryan. Going to talk some 49ers dream draft scenario uh, to start off the show. Uh, I think if you ask many fans out there, including myself, the their 49ers dream draft would be to uh, draft the receiver at 13. My pick would be C.D. Lamb if he's there, and then go ahead and get Cesar Ruiz at 31. Uh, so I want to ask you, uh, if you were the 49ers, what is your realistic dream draft scenario in 2020? And if you're going to pick a receiver, which one stands out most to you? Okay, to get to your first question, my dream draft scenario at 13 would be to have Tristan Wirfs uh, be the guy that drops. Uh, Tristan Wirfs is a guy who can play inside his rookie year and then start to kick outside when Joe Staley retires. Um, the reason why I say that is because in the NFL, versatility is so coveted that NFL scouts across the board all value versatility. And if a player doesn't necessarily pan out at one position, you can always try him out at a certain, uh, uh, kick him out at a different position. So I believe Tristan Wurst would be the smart play here, but I doubt that he's going to be available. I think he's going to go to Arizona Cardinals at number eight. Um, Sean Kugler over there is the new offensive line coach, and he's, he worked under Andy Reid, and he really loves what they like to do as far as versatility and as far as athleticism is concerned. So he, is a guy that really fits what they like to do in Arizona. Obviously, they need support for Kyler Murray, so I don't see that happening. That would be my dream pick. Um, as far as the wide receiver position is concerned, I think if Tristan Wirfs is off the board and the wide receiver is available of the three amigos, you know, you just hit on the nail, Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, and Jerry Judy. I would go with Jerry Judy. I think he's the best polished route runner in the draft. He has the best hands. He runs a smooth routes. He's silky smooth coming in and out of his breaks. He would be an ideal fit for Kyle Shanahan and really a player who really is the best NFL ready to get to get going. Because as you know, the Super Bowl window is now for the San Francisco 49ers. And they don't have very much room for error in terms of closing in on that quest for six. So right now, I believe that Jerry Judy is that guy if they're going to go that route. And Kyle Shanahan loves route runners he loves route runners he loves receivers who run crisp routes and Jerry Judy hits it on the nail I do want to ask you about Judy because I know Greg Papa said that he was the closest thing uh, to Jerry Rice I don't think maybe that's the case but uh <laughs> I would never I would never know um that's a big mistake uh, he's not uh, I you know the thing about with all these people who put these comparisons out there you cannot com- it's unfair to compare a player to a hall of famer right off the bat it's it's just unfair um, Jim Harbaugh said it best, when you compare two different players, you're diminishing the value of the other. So you never want to do that. What you want to do is you want to project to see how they could, maybe they provide certain skill sets. Um, and Judy, to me, reminds me more of 
kind of like a Amari Cooper. Um, both Alabama products. Amari Cooper was a really crisp route runner coming out of the draft, had strong hands. He was a surefire top five pick. Now, Jared Judy is not up to that talent, but he does provide the same skill set. He's very football savvy, knows how to find soft spots in zone coverage. So he's very savvy in that way. And I think that's one thing that you have to look at when you're evaluating the wide receiver position, because if you're looking at a player like C.D. Lamb, who plays in the Big 12, they don't do a lot of press. Um, he's facing a lot of off-man coverage. In the SEC, you're playing off-man press, all different types of defense schematics. And when you do that, NFL scouts get a better feel of how he can convert at the next level. And that's why I believe Judy is the man. All right, the only reason why the Niners are at 13 is because they traded away to Forrest Buckner. And I know I've seen you on Twitter. Uh, when the trade went through, I didn't love it as much. But with the draft coming up in you know the next month or so, uh, we've seen names like Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw been thrown around as replacements uh, for Buckner, even with DJ Jones still on this roster. Uh, what are the odds if San Francisco, let's say Judy and, and, and Lamb and Ruggs are all off the board, uh, what are the odds that San Francisco says, let's go get a Derek Brown or Kinlaw to replace Buckner immediately? Well, they're going to be, if they're targeting one of those two players, they're going to have to leapfrog the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Carolina Panthers obviously have a need for defensive tackle. They lost a lot of players um, in the past, like Gerald McCoy. Um, so, you know, he, 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 when you lose so many defensive players like that, uh, you really have to kind of replenish that with, with talent. And the way Marty Herney likes to do it is he likes to do it through the draft. And that's why I think Derek Brown will be their choice at number seven. Uh, if not, Javon Kinlaw is available, but he, I think he's going to be gone to the Jacksonville Jaguars at number nine. I think GM Trent Balky, or not GM Trent Balky, but former GM <laughs> Trent Balky, yes. who's now the vice president of player personnel with the Jaguars, he likes SEC talent and he loves Gamecocks. So when he put two and two together, you know, as you know, the Jaguars also have a need. They lost Marcus Stroud. They traded away Calais Campbell. So there's a huge need along the defensive front. And that's why I believe Javon Kinlaw is going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars because Brian Taven, their first-round pick under Tom Coughlin, hasn't panned out either. So uh, they need a fountain of youth. I don't believe either one of those players will fill the void of DeForest Buckner, to be honest with you. And I, I'll, I'll say it right off the bat, DeFore, losing DeForest Buckner was the dumbest move ever. It doesn't make sense. I still think it doesn't make sense. And people who say that you know they couldn't afford DeForest Buckner, he's only $4 million annual per year more than Eric Armstead. And if I was... If I was John Lynch, I would have released Richard Sherman, saved $12.9 million, instantly saving the team, used that money, funneled that back into Buckner's contract, and then you could have kept Eric Armstead and Buckner. Because if you're looking at the Super Bowl window and people are over, you know, they couldn't resign other players, that's a bunch of BS because you could. Uh, you just had to get rid of Richard Sherman. And let's face it, how many years does Richard Sherman have left? One or two years? And how many is he going to be playing at an all-pro level? Not, we don't know. But DeForest Muckner and Eric Armstead, that's your future right there. That was your future, and you blew away your best defensive player who won the Bill Walsh Award, and it's just it makes zero sense. I don't care about the draft capital because if they were looking at draft capital, they should have not have traded for Emmanuel Sanders and got a third for a third and fourth round pick, but only rented for a half a season, only to let go to have to make this move the following year. It makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. When the DeForest Buckner move uh, first happened, my first response is. What? Like, what are we doing as an organization? Um, but it, but even then, 
even that that four million dollar difference doesn't seem like a lot and, and it eventually it accumulates to 20 million dollars which still doesn't seem like a lot of money especially when you could have gotten rid of a guy like Marquise Goodwin for a seventh round pick and just got his money off the team um, the Niners I think still have around 14.75 million dollars to play with obviously you have to extend guys like Kittle Warner and McGlinchey coming coming up but you know the Niners were gonna have to make a tough decision and well I mean Someone like you and, and plenty of fans out there and me uh, immediately immediately when the trade happened didn't love the move. I think maybe John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are, are going to try to justify that to 13 because a lot of Niner fans are going to say, hey, if we can get a Judy or, or a Ruggs or a Lamb, whoever it is, someone that can be on this team for the next five seasons um, you know, and, and add to Kyle Shanahan's offense, like I said, you know that may not make you or anyone else happy. Uh, and sometimes it didn't make me happy when I first heard it. You know, like I said, my, my first reaction was, what? <laughs> He's been a, one of our best players for the last you know, four seasons. And so, um, you know, that does suck, but that also does give the Niners flexibility, despite what, what anyone thinks about that, including myself, <laughs> which, like I said, I was not happy about it. But I do want to get into uh, the, the 13th and 31st overall pick a little more here, because I've, I've seen people like, uh, NBC Sports, Matt Mayoko, and including yourself, I think it was your tweet today or, or yesterday said about, you know, the Niners trading down from 13 could still be an option because, you know, I'm pretty sure you mentioned, you know, the, the deal for Eric Orange said when they drafted him, they traded uh, down and they still got Blake Bell and Ronald Blair. I know Bell is gone now, but Blair uh, has shown plenty of promise despite the injuries. So I do want to ask you to some fans who may scoff at the idea of trading down from 13, uh, maybe give them some some logical reasoning as to why a deal like that would work for San Francisco. Well, there's a number of different reasons. First, we have to see how the draft board plays out. As you know, in every NFL draft, there's going to be teams that reach for need. And when you do that, it's mainly quarterbacks. So there could be as many as three quarterbacks going off the board in the top 10 picks, possibly even four. And when you see those many players coming off the board at a position in need, top-tier players stop to, draft, stop to fall. Uh, and when they start to fall, other teams behind the San Francisco 49ers maybe love, covet a certain player and be like, hey, maybe we can give up this much just to get that player. You know, we're not going to risk it. So we'll trade with the 49ers. Now, the 49ers hold, hold all the cards now because they're in a great draft position. They can be like, hey, look, we don't have a second-round pick. We don't have a third-round pick, and we don't have a fourth-round pick. We can accumulate some of those picks back by just trading down a few spots. So if there's a player and they're sitting at number 13, if Tr- Tristan Wurst is gone – if CeeDee Lamb is gone, if Jerry Judy goes to the New York Jets and, the, and Lamb goes to the Oakland Raiders and they're sitting there being like, okay, well, we have an option of getting Henry Ruggs III, or we can trade down a few spots, maybe with the Denver Broncos at number 15, and pick up an additional third-round pick or second-round pick, or whatever the case may be, and throw in maybe a, a, a sweetener like Dante Pettis, right? Because we all know everyone's forgetting about Dante Pettis, but he has so much return value and he had so much value to a team i think he's just as good as, as getting a you know a number two receiver you're getting a number two receiver with versatility to for the return game and if they choose to they can use him as a chess piece to kind of gain some leverage that way in order to recuperate some picks so if you can trade a few spots down like i said with like maybe the falcons or the broncos and still land the player that they want and they're sitting there like oh man if we go back a few spots there's two players that's that we like that we we're guaranteed to get at least one of them. They'll go ahead and pull the trigger. And then they got extra draft capital to use. So that would be a smart play. Like I said, like I tweeted earlier today, it happened back in 2015. GM Trent Baalke did it with Eric Armstead, with the San Diego Chargers for Melvin Gordon and so forth. But it would be a smart play because you, if you're sitting there at 13 and there's three guys on your board vertically, 
that you like and you can get them at maybe 15, 16, or 17, why not make that move and get a few picks out of it in return? I don't see why not. It's a smart play. So we've seen all offseason San Francisco has you know been maneuvering themselves to gain draft capital or put them in a position to either trade back at 13 like we just talked about or 31 to get a second or third round pick as well. I know yesterday uh, Michael Lombardi of The Athletic reported the Niners had turned down uh, multiple or all the trade offers for Nick Mullins. Uh, you know, Is there a reason as, as to why a team like San Francisco who seems to covet uh, draft capital at least in this year in 2020 are, are turning down trades for a backup quarterback when, like you said plenty of times already uh, in, in the first 10 minutes, their Super Bowl window, uh, it's not going to be very long. One to three years, I think, is the average uh, window, uh, and the Niners have to go for after failing uh, two times in the last decade or so. Is there a reason why San Francisco won't pull the trigger on getting rid of Mullins? That's a great question. I don't know. They should just get rid of What are you going to do, stash Nick Mullins for the year? I mean, keep stashing him, stashing him, stashing him, but then your Super Bowl window is closed, so then what are you waiting for? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in it, be in it. You're in it to win it. You're not in it to play not to lose. That's what happened in the Super Bowl. That's why they lost. You have to be in it to win it. So you have to gain. You have to give up something to gain something, right? So to your point, I don't understand why they don't trade Nick Mullins. He's a great quarterback. He can get some good value in return. And if you need draft capital, like you said, why not pull the trigger because the Super Bowl window is now. People who say the Super Bowl window is five years, six years, and there's a lot of – they don't know football, Okay. Tell me, unless you're, the new, <laughs> unless you're the New England Patriots, bro, that's not going to happen. That's that's just fans thinking, bro. Like, that's not going to happen, straight up. I'm sorry. It's just you're, the window is two to three years tops, unless you're the Patriots. They're an exception to the rule, and that's it. Capitalize on what you have now. You have Jimmy Garoppolo under contract for the next two or three seasons. Sherman's going to be an elite-level guy for maybe one, maybe two more years. Uh, you have Armstead, you have Bosa, you have Ford, and Bosa on that rookie contract, Greenlaw on a rookie deal, Warner's still on his rookie deal, and McGlinchey and Kittle both all on their rookie deals as well. I think San Francisco, the, the worst thing a team and franchise can be is in the middle. Are you on the fence? Are you lukewarm? You, you really have to be, we're going to go for it, and don't be like the Rams and start trading everything away. You have to definitely value your future to, to stay consistently good for a long period of time. But I look at a team like Seattle, where they found steals in the draft, and San Francisco has done that already with a Warner and a, and a Greenlaw as well, and even a Mosley and Breida, which were undrafted guys. But, you know, I, I look at Seattle as kind of, you know, the framework here of they found guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round and built that Legion of Boom up. And even after all those guys left, you know, they're still very competitive, a, a 10 and 6 team, uh, and still it's still beating the Niners at home. Uh, despite being a, a thirteen and three team, so that's kind of you know, the groundwork and kind of the you know the architecture I would look at to build from. But I want to move on here. Um, we already talked about the draft, thirteenth and thirty first pick, what we would do with that, and what you would do with that. But I do want to talk about free agency thus far. Um, the Niners have brought in plenty of depth, uh, retaining guys like Ben Garland, Matt Breida, Ronald Blair, uh, bringing guys in like Tom Compton and Kerry Hyder. Um, who have both shown enough promise or have been with Kyle Shanahan in previous stints. Um, but they've also floated around, uh, reports have floated around kind of saying that the team has looked at Jordan Reed, the former Redskins tight end, and Jeff Swain, uh, the former Cowboys tight ends, and, and, and even some fans are, are, are clamoring for Delaney Walker's return. We know he's older, but we people love Delaney Walker in San Francisco. Out of those three guys, um, are, are those guys legitimate number two options behind George Kittle in San Francisco, or was the team just doing their due diligence uh, to see other depth pieces they can bring in? 
I think he, it's the latter. You, they're just looking for death pieces at this point. Everybody's about nostalgia. And De, when Delaney Walker was with the 49ers, he was the Swiss Army knife before Bruce Miller, before Kyle Juszczyk, and so forth. So they kind of have that nostalgia about uh, bringing Delaney Walker back. He's just not the same. He had so many injuries. He's a, he was a great player while he played in San Francisco. I think he's just more of a veteran presence if they do bring him back, but he's not going to get a boatload of targets. Let's be honest. That's going to be the, the lion's share of the targets going to go to Kittle. It doesn't matter who they draft at 13, it's still going to go to Kittle. So when you have that in play, I think it's more about doing their, their due diligence. Jordan Reed, he's been injured, but showed a lot of promise. Uh, he's a player, again, they can take a flyer, maybe sign him to a one-year contract, maybe be a camp body and see how he plays out and, and go from there. But other than that, I think they're pretty much set, man. They don't have much wiggle room to, to work with right now. And the free agent market really dried up really quick. And they really left themselves a gaping hole up the middle in a defensive tackle. So right now, I think they're just going to stay put, wait till the draft unfolds, and then maybe sign some free agents after the draft. You spoke about the the kind of the hole they have at defensive tackle. We obviously know Buckner's gone. Um, but we, we've heard people on Twitter speculate, which I know there isn't a lot of validity to that. Um, but to me, when I, when I look at the free agency pool, I only see two guys you can probably get for cheap one-year deals, guys near the end of their run in the NFL. Uh, and that's Brandon Meadbane, who was in Los Angeles with the Chargers last year, uh, and, and Damon Snacks Harrison, who was with Detroit and, and the Giants over the course of his career. Um, to me, you know, Damon Harrison seems like a, a solid fit up the middle. He can take up two guys at once. Um, but to me, from from the outside looking in, it seems like DJ Jones is the guy who's going to take over Buckner's role, uh, at, at least for the most part, obviously not all the time. Um, but could there be a possible guy like a Damon Snacks Harrison or a Brandon Meebane uh, sign him for like a one-year deal, super cheap, bring him in for just one year to kind of have a holdover guy uh, to get to the 2021 draft to find someone else to replace Buckner? Or do you, you really think that you know they're not going to bring in anyone else unless it's the draft or like a depth piece later on? I think they're just looking more toward the draft at this point. Honestly, I just don't see them really filling in that defensive tackle position. I thought they should, the smarter play would have been to go after Ndamukong Sue. Um, but, you know, he's he's not. He's resigning back with Tampa and Tom Brady. But, no, that's a smart play on in terms of getting me a veteran presence to fill that hole. But DJ Jones, you said, you said yourself – DJ Jones is going to be the guy to pay that third technique, and it's going to be by a committee approach. It's not going to be easy. You can't replicate all pro talent. It's just not going to happen. Even if you do it by committee, it's just not going to happen. Fans have this false hope that everything is all good and dandy. When you lose the heart of the defense, you lose the heart of the defense. You lose your team captain, and he gets shipped off to another team still in his rookie contract. What kind of message does that sound? Does that send? You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't. I just don't understand it because who are they going to bring in to fill that void? Who's going to take on the double teams and still put consistent pressure on the quarterback and still garner those stats and still take up and be a focal point for other off- opposing offenses to concentrate on? There's just no defensive player on their roster that can duplicate or replicate that type of production, period. And there's no one in the draft that can do it. This is not a very strong defensive line draft class, let me tell you. And it's not a strong edge edge class either. So when you look at the front seven defensive class, it's not very strong. And their best bet would have been to sign a free agent, like you said, like a Snacks um, or a Brandon Meebane. But they didn't go that route. So right now they're just kind of like sitting ducks right now, just 
playing and hoping that everything turns out for the best. And we don't even know how DJ Jones is going to recover from that injury. Let's face it. Let's be honest. Or Ronald Blair. There's a lot of ifs going on in the season when they're Super Bowl contenders. And that's not a good look if you're trying to be in it to win it. You look at the teams like the Ravens, right? They made, they made sound smart plays. They got better. Even though, um, even though Michael Brockers went back to the Rams because of a failed physical or not being able to take his physical, uh, that the Ravens are doing everything that the Niners should be doing. It's going after win-now players. Not tomorrow, not two years from now, today. It's just frustrating for, for being a Bay Area fan in general, just being a Bay Area fan in sports and, and just wanting to see Bay Area teams thrive. It's, it's just very disappointing to for me to kind of take a look at this and say everything's going to be okay when you know damn well it's not. The Niners definitely still have one of the best rosters based on talent alone, and I think Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala are, are, are still very viable uh, at their coaching positions, and obviously you know, the Niners losing Buckner and, and losing Emmanuel Sanders doesn't help despite even the the ability to replace at least one of them in the draft, that probably being Emmanuel Sanders at 13 uh, with a receiver. But to me, when I look at the entire defense, you know, despite Buckner being gone, to me, one of the biggest things that cost San Francisco in the Super Bowl, uh, despite maybe a, you know, a rather conservative attitude on offense, was the secondary. And that's not a knock on Ward or Tart or Sherman, despite Sherman being burned multiple times. Uh, to me, it was the number two cornerback position. When you have guys like Sammy Watkins and Robinson and Tyreek Hill and this, you know, straight burners on on an offensive team like Kansas City, obviously not every team is built like that. But to me, the number two cornerback position was something that, you know, whether it was Witherspoon or Mosley, and I, I really do like Mosley, but I don't think he's the number two guy. I look at someone, and this is probably out of San Francisco's price range in regards to, to what he's going to get on the market, but it is a little later. Uh, players and teams do get a little more desperate as free agency goes on. But I look at a guy like Logan Ryan, who, like I said, is probably out of San Francisco's price range. But to me, he was, he was playing at a Pro Bowl level last season despite struggling in 2017 and 2018 he doesn't have to be a number one guy like he pretty much was in Tennessee for the first few years he can slide in next to Sherman with guys like Ward and Tart and K1 Williams next to him and a great front seven to me a guy like Logan Ryan or even a Daryl Worley who's a lot cheaper but had a better PFF score or or was closer to to Emmanuel Mosley was someone like that who can be a number three or number two guy because let's be honest here it, it really is Sherman Mosley and Witherspoon, who is inconsistent as can be, he's shown great flashes, and then he's shown he can't catch up to a guy like Stefan Diggs in the playoffs or, or play good defense against an offense like the Saints. Now, there's a reason why he was benched against Seattle Week 17. There's a reason why you know teams were, or, or fans were saying, why is he out there? And so I really do think the Niners should upgrade at cornerback, whether it's someone like a Daryl Worley as a, you know, a depth piece, that, like a, a third or fourth guy, or a Logan Ryan at number two. You, do you think those options are possibly viable for San Francisco? I would go Logan Ryan over Worley. I like Logan Ryan a lot. I'm surprised he's still on the market, to be honest with you. I think he's a player who was playing at a Pro Bowl level, who played in New England, so he's been very well coached up, and he's proven his worth. And if they, it's out of the price range, most likely, but that'd be a dream scenario, man. If you want to talk about dream scenario in terms of free agents, why not get Logan Ryan? He would instantly upgrade that cornerback position and really ease the pain as the boundary cornerback. Then I have, I have one last question in regards to free agency. Then we'll get into some Jimmy Garoppolo 
uh, conversation here in a second, but you talked about Dante Pettis earlier, how they could kind of float him around on draft day if a team like the Broncos or, or the Falcons, uh, you know, are, are kind of looking to trade up in the draft. You know, to me, I would rather, and I hate saying this because I know Dante Pettis has a lot of upside, but he kind of seems like he's in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. Um, is there a chance that he or Marquise Goodwin get traded? I know Mike Florio, despite Niner fans, is not liking him uh, in, in regards to his disdain for San Francisco. Um, but we, we definitely saw uh, we definitely saw the, the rumor that he put out there that, you know, the, the Niners were, you know, rumored to be looking to trade Pettis and the Eagles uh, for like a fourth round pick and, and Razul Butler uh, from Philadelphia. Do you think that Pettis and Goodwin, you know, are, are, are have a high chance of getting traded prior to the draft or even during the draft? I think Dante Pettis is the more viable option. I think he will be traded on draft. Okay. I think, I think that's pretty much a given. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. And because the reason I say that is because there's a log jam already at wide receiver. He was a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl. What kind of message does that send to you as a player when you're a healthy scratch in the biggest game of your life? Right? So to say that Dante Pettis, a second-round pick who the team traded up for, who Kyle Shanahan had high, high hopes for, who I asked right after he was drafted what they liked about Pettis, was his route running and his ability to get off the line of scrimmage and so forth. And he hasn't been able to, for some reason, be in the doghouse or not be able to sustain the same success he had in college. It makes me believe that Dante Pettis needs a fresh start. And Dante Pettis, to me, is still a really good player. I am on the Dante Pettis train. I've been on this train. I like Dante Pettis. I think he has really good returnability. He led the nation in touchdowns and returns. He also is a very speedy wide receiver. That's what's happening in today's NFL. It's evident by the Super Bowl. So anybody who's looking for 4-3 speed, Dante Pettis is the answer with versatility, can duel up. As a return threat, Dante Pettis is a guy who a team like the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Patriots, the Saints, Cowboys, Seahawks, Raiders, and Jets. They all can trade for Dante Pettis and use them because they all need wide receivers and they all need versatility. And don't count out the Ravens, man, because Ravens, like I said, they're a team looking to win now. If Dante Pettis gets a fresh look, look out because him and Marquise Brown on the outside, that's a lot of speed right there. When you look at Dante Pettis, he's definitely, like I said, he's shown flashes. He, he caught the game-winning catch in that Pittsburgh Steelers game late, and you kind of said, okay, this guy's going to take his next step this season. He caught a big touchdown against Arizona on a Halloween night, the Emmanuel Sanders' first take with the team. Um, and, and with Emmanuel Sanders gone, like we've talked about, 13 may be the place where they get a receiver or someone falls to them um, that they can definitely replace Sanders with. But when I look at the receiving room, it's to me it's pretty much Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, a, a returning Trent Taylor, who I do think coming off uh, an injury but does have great chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo is, is going to be implemented into the offense seamlessly. Then you have a guy like Jalen Hurd who who knows what's going on with his back. I read a report that he couldn't even fly to Miami because his back couldn't you know survive on the plane ride. Then you have guys like Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis who... You know, are kind of question marks. Can, can Goodwin kind of get back to what he was in his first year with San Francisco, almost having a thousand yards? And, and can Dante Pettis finally put it all together? 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's tons of question marks in the receiving core, on the defensive line, and in the secondary. And I'm sure Niner fans don't want to hear that. But that kind of kind of brings me to my next point here is that there are some people who even think this team has a question mark at quarterback. I don't know if you heard, I don't know if you listened to it, but on 95.7 The Game a few days ago, uh, Bucky Brooks, NFL Network analyst, uh, former NFL pro, he was on the show and he said the reason why the Niners ran the ball so much in the playoffs is because Kyle Shanahan doesn't trust him in Garoppolo. Uh, he also said if, if, a, if Patrick Mahomes was a quarterback for the Niners, uh, Shanahan would have been calling more passes. And, and before I toss it to you, Ryan, to kind of respond to Bucky Brooks' comments, um, I want to make one point in saying that bes- you know, besides a select few teams like the Packers, the Seahawks, the Ravens, and Saints, who kind of have their franchise quarterback in place, I think any team would take Patrick Mahomes. Any team. And so I, I really don't think the opinion of you know comparing Mahomes to Garoppolo is very valid. Uh, it's you know like you said, when you're comparing two players, it takes away the value of the other one. Um, and, and so I, I, I really hate that argument of, well, if the Niners had Patrick Mahomes, if any team had Patrick Mahomes, it'd be a lot different. Yeah, no, you're right. I, it's, it's an unfair comparison. I, don't, I didn't hear that. Um, that's the first I've heard about it. But to Bookie Brooks' point, he, there is some validity in what he's saying. I think what he's trying to say, maybe not Pat Mahomes, but what he's trying to say is if maybe Kyle Shanahan had a better quarterback at decision-making and maybe a top-five quarterback, uh, the game calling and gameplay calling would have been a little bit different. And you have to take it. You know, it. The proof is in the pudding, right? He only threw, what was it, 29 pass attempts or something like that? 27 pass attempts in the first two playoff games. So was Kyle Shanahan protecting Jimmy Garoppolo? Who knows? If you look at the two-minute drill to end the first half in the Super Bowl, they they didn't even do anything. And again, it goes back to, are you in it to win the game or are you playing not to lose? I think Kyle Shanahan was playing not to lose. I don't think he was playing to win. And if you look at the games that Jimmy Garoppolo throws 30-plus attempts, yeah, the team has historically struggled more times than not. You take a look at the 24-20 game that you said this Dante Pettis touchdown where he scored game-winning touchdowns. They barely pulled out that victory, and Jimmy Garoppolo threw 30-plus attempts. You take a look at the game against the Rams in L.A. They won 20-7, to but that was a pretty tight game. They lost to the game at home to the Seattle Seahawks where they threw 30-plus. Um, they lost again uh, to the Falcons. Um and then they lost, and they barely beat the Cardinals at the very end at home, 36-26 when he threw 30-plus. So when you take a, take it with a grain of salt, I think what Bucky Brooks was trying to say is if the 49ers had maybe a top-three quarterback or top-five quarterback, yeah, the play calling would have been different. But to your point, yeah, obviously. I mean, if Pat Mahomes was on any team, of course the play calling would be different. Like, duh, like that's kind of a no-brainer question. So. Um, nothing to take away from Jimmy Garoppolo. I do believe he's a top ten quarterback, but to say the top eight or top five quarterback, I would I would strongly reconsider that because I know all these stats are out there about you know his passing rating and whatever. But when you actually dissect the game film and look at the 
look at how he's making these reads. A lot of it is dictated for him. Kyle Shanahan's routes, a lot of the play calling is a high-low. What I mean by it's a one-scan option, meaning he scans one side of the field, and he all his options are in that uh, field of vision. So rarely do you see him scan the entire field. If you look at the All-Catch 22 film and All-Coaches 22 film, you'll notice these quarterbacks scan the entire field from left to right, from right to left, and then vice versa, kind of like walking down the street, right? You look both ways. Jimmy Garoppolo still has to learn that. And I know it's his first year, and we're all giving him grief for it. But at the end of the day, this is the NFL, and it stands for not for long. So if they're not going to win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, someone else will step in. And that's why Tom Brady was such a hot topic, because if Tom Brady was in the Super Bowl and played for the 49ers against the Kansas City Chiefs, odds are that Tom Brady would have won it for them. Let's be honest about that. I want to push back a little bit, and it's not it's just me taking the fan side of things because fans who love Jimmy Garoppolo, like you brought up, their stats out there, they're going to throw at you. And they're going to say he's 23-6 and six as a starter, including the playoffs. He's 15-4 and four last season and was 10 minutes away from winning the Super Bowl. And some fans will even say that Kyle Shanahan got too conservative. You even said they were not playing to win. They are playing not to lose. And I would definitely agree with you. There was a lot of play calls in that game where I was like, I'm scratching my head as to why we're not running the football and only running the ball four times in the fourth quarter when you have pretty much the best running team in the NFL besides Lamar Jackson and Baltimore. Um, And Garoppolo was fourth in comp percentage at 69.1. He was 12th in yards ahead of guys like uh, Kirk Cousins, who Kyle Shanahan loves, uh, and Deshaun Watson. He was six in touchdowns ahead of Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, and Tom Brady. And I know situations are very different compared to San Francisco, you know, but people are still going to keep throwing stats. He is saying he was tied for the most in fourth quarter comebacks with Russell Wilson. He was third in yards per attempt, and he had the eighth highest QBR in the NFL. And they're either going to throw this at you and say, look, he's basically going into year two in Kyle Shanahan's system. He missed an entire year with an ACL injury. He had the horrible game in in Denver during the preseason where everyone kind of laughed it off and said, oh my God, San Francisco overpaid for this guy. But then he gets over that and leads this team to a Super Bowl. And Jimmy Garoppolo deserves flack. He definitely made some mistakes. He missed some throws. And I will agree with you. He is a one-read quarterback for the most part. You know, he loves that inside slant to Debo Samuel, whether he's open or not. He definitely is going to throw it his way. Um, But... How do you respond to people who who would definitely say that I find criticism towards Jimmy Garoppolo borderline unreasonable given his stats and the circumstance of him being pretty much in year one in Kyle Shanahan despite a great 2017 to finish out the season uh, with the 5-0 record and coming off the ACL injury? I just think right now the stats don't lie, right? So he puts up great stats. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I'm, I'm not saying he's a great quarterback. I'm saying he's a good quarterback. What I mean by that, I believe he's a top 10 quarterback. Now, I don't believe he's top five, that everyone, all the fans think he's a top five quarterback. He's not. There's five players I can name that are better. You know, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. You know, the list goes on. He's not even the best quarterback in the NFC West. Russell Wilson is. So when you take that into account and then you talk about the, Jimmy Garoppolo's record, right? He's What is he, 26 and 5, you said? He is. He's 23 and 6 as a starter, including the playoffs. Okay, 23-6, and six. great stat line, right? But let's be honest, that stat line is predicated on a defense, having the best defense in the NFL and the best running game in the NFL. When you have those two elements as part of any football team, you're going to win football games as long as the quarterback doesn't screw it up. We saw it with the uh, Trent Dilfer and the Baltimore Ravens, right? They won the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer. 
they won the Super Bowl, and that why they have it. They had a strong running game, and they had a great defense, historically great defense. You ask Ray Lewis what wins games, he will tell you the same thing. Defense and a strong running game. You fortify the line, and you dominate the trenches, you're going to win football games, regardless who your quarterback is. So I'm not saying that Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. It's not his fault. But I'm saying you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Sometimes you have to peel back the layers of, of these stats to kind of dig in to see what really is getting the job done and where these stats are actually derived from. Because if you don't and you're just spitting out these stats, yeah, anyone can look up a com- computer screen and put out stats out there. But when you actually dissect the game and actually look at it for what it's worth, if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have a number one defense, if he didn't have a top-ranked rushing attack, do you think he'd be 23-6? and six? I mean, probably not, but then play- fans would likely say, well, he was 5-0 and in 2017 when the team only had one win. That's true. To, that's a good argument right there. I will give you that. He single-handedly won that, won those games. That was amazing. I mean, if you think about it, J- Jimmy Garoppolo ran through the best defense in the NFL in 2017 with the Jacksonville Jaguars when they had Ramsey and that entire Saxonville team, and he demolished them with a, you know, let's just be honest here, a horrible team around him besides some few pieces here and there. Like, and l- let me ask you this question, because a lot of Niner fans... They, they heard the Tom Brady stuff, and they hated it, and, and you already said, and I mean, I didn't like it. I said, what are we doing? Tom Brady's 43 years old. <laughs> you know, it, it's just not worth it, but let me ask you this. You already said if Tom Brady was the Niners quarterback this season, they likely win that Super Bowl, and do, to me, Kyle Shanahan got a lot of flack, but to me, I think he deserves more flack than he actually got, because when you only run the ball four times, knowing Jimmy G has a limited skill set to some people, and I think most people would agree that he does have a limited skill set. Why aren't you running the football more? To me, despite Jimmy G not making some throws he should have made, despite Jimmy G not hitting Emmanuel Sanders on on that third and 15 in the fourth quarter with a minute left, to me, Kyle Shanahan deserves more blame for not playing to his team's strengths in that fourth quarter. You have the best run at rushing attack left in the playoffs, number two in the NFL, and you're not running the football. Should more of the blame belong on Kyle Shanahan going into 2020 more so than Jimmy Garoppolo? I think it's evenly dispersed. I think a lot of it has to do with play calling, but the quarterback has the ability to check off plays, right? So he can check it to a run, he can check it to a pass. And so that comes down to the quarterback. Kyle Shanahan puts the play in, and you can audible out of it if you need to. So... I think the blame is equally on Kyle Shanahan, like you said, and Jimmy Garoppolo. It's just, it's when you live in the Bay Area, the expectation is Super Bowl or bust, right? That's it. No one cares about being second place. So, of course, it's going to be tough on Jimmy Garoppolo. And maybe I am a little bit harder on Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's because I'm also hard on Jimmy Garoppolo because I can see the potential in Jimmy Garoppolo. He can be a very great quarterback. He He can be a top three he could be one of the next four great quarterbacks. But in, unless he learns to not be a one-read quarterback, I don't see that playing out because teams are now going to gauge on that, stack the box, force Jimmy Garoppolo 30-plus times, and odds are when you do it, the odds are in the other team's favor. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs did. He threw it 30-plus and they lost. So this year's everybody's going to be gunning for the 49ers. They're going to be stacking the box, letting Jimmy G beat him with his arm. And maybe he'll get it done. Maybe he'll have a game against, like he did with Drew Brees when he won 48-46. But then he also doesn't have Emmanuel Sanders anymore. Emmanuel Sanders, if you look back at that game, he did a lot in that game to keep drives alive. And when you don't have that in your locker room or on the field, 
it's hard to replicate that type of production. So that's why going back to the draft, it's very important that they really hit on pick number 13 and 31. And if they don't, it's going to cause a disaster and a domino effect because there's a lot of missing pieces from that championship run that they don't have anymore. I have one final question for you, Ryan, before I let you go. And you've been great so far, so thanks for coming on. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe not this year, maybe not next year. Let's say in the next three to four seasons, can Jimmy Garoppolo get this Niners team a Super Bowl victory? Why not? I think so. Why not? He's he's gotten there. He just needs to maybe make another year of maybe polished play under Kyle Shanahan's system and then go from there. I think he does have the ability to get them to the Super Bowl and possibly winning it. And I don't see why not. The sky's the limit for the kid. I just hope he pans out. I really do. Because he has the talent. He has the talent. I think I would agree with you. I think he can get it done as well. You can find Ryan Sakamoto on Twitter, BeastRider underscore. He's usually talking 49ers on there. He's a great source for opinions and statistics. Ryan, thank you for joining us today on Niners Access. Uh, Thank you so much, Sterling. I appreciate it. That's all we have for today. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends that there is a new 49ers podcast out there designed just for them. Till next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful.